salty ocean, off where the waves are free. The sparkling water rises, then crashes to the sea. Out amongst the breakers, you'll have no need to fear. It's true, it's the blue frontier. Mayday, mayday, mayday! Alright, uh, easy forward and right. Okay, the boat's about 20 feet off our bow. Welcome to our latest episode of Rising Tide, the Ocean Podcast. This is David Helvarg, and Vicki Nichols Goldstein is diving in Honduras and so unable to join us today. So I'm here back on Coast Guard Island in Alameda, California, talking with Rear Admiral Andy Sugimoto. He's commander of the Coast Guard's 11th District, an area that ranges from the California-Oregon border to the ocean off Peru, also Arizona, Utah, and Nevada. And I bet some of our listeners want to know what the Coast Guard's doing in Utah, but Before we go there, Admiral, let's start with your own background. When in your life did you first connect with the ocean? Uh, When I was in high school, and actually I would say even before that, uh, as a little kid, my dad was a a teacher, and uh, we didn't have a whole bunch of extra money. And my mom, being German, we used to save all the money possible every year so that we could go back to Germany and she could see her family. And so entertainment for us on the weekends was anything that was free. And growing up in Southern California, we'd go down to Ports of Call, and I'd watch the ships come in and out of the out of the ports. And I guess I was about five years old, and I had made a promise to my mom that one day I will take you on my ship, as only a five-year-old could proudly proclaim. And ever since then, uh, even including high school and, and others, I, I sailed, would, would ride my bike 12 miles on the weekends to go sailing or uh, lifeguarding on the beach there in Huntington Beach, and, and uh, my affinity for the ocean um, has only grown over the years. So you were a lifeguard in what, high school, after high school? In high school at, at Huntington Beach, uh, and then at 17 Surf I went City, to the, USA. Yes, indeed, absolutely. And at 17 went to the Coast Guard Academy. Huh, so what got you the Coast Guard? Uh... That's, a, that's another funny story, right? I had no clue about the Coast Guard, quite honestly. I had a great guidance counselor that uh, when I told her I wanted to apply to the Naval Academy, she did the old finger, come here, and uh, gave me a pamphlet about the Coast Guard Academy and introduced me to uh, this volunteer group that the Coast Guard is blessed to have, the Coast Guard Auxiliary. And uh, there was a regional competition where I applied and wrote an essay, and they then sponsored me to go to a one-week program called Academy Academy Introduction Mission, or AIM, to the academy where they treat you like a fourth class, and you get to introduce to all the things the Coast Guard does, and that that was it. And 39 years later, here I am. And, uh, you know, a lot of people know the Coast Guard in terms of search and rescue. I mean, it rescues about 4,000 people a year, um, except of years of extreme weather. And uh, I got introduced during Hurricane Katrina when you rescued 33,000 people. Uh, I think 2018 hurricane season, about 16,000. But uh, beyond that, and boaters know you for boardings and uh, inspections. But what amazes me is sort of the range of mission activities the Coast Guard's involved in. Maybe you could just tell us some of them. Absolutely. There are 12 statutory missions and an additional mission, intelligence, that the Coast Guard is tasked with carrying out. And uh, I guess you can actually summarize all of them in two words, maritime governance. So when you think about ports, uh, the environment uh, in the coastal waters, 
and the, the protection of our environmental resources in the waters out to 200 nautical miles, the safety of all vessels coming in and out of the port, ensuring the inspections from new builds wherever they are in the world is taken care of, uh, ensuring that ports that um, vessels come from to come to the United States are safe and secure and that there's nothing bad that can be put on those vessels. All of those things fall under our jurisdiction and our ability to uh, keep up, which is about $5.4 trillion of the United States' GDP, which is the maritime um, environment. And this nation is blessed beyond all other nations in that it has three coasts that are open year-round, the Atlantic, the Gulf, and the Pacific Ocean. But more so than that, they have the Great Lakes to the north, and the inland river system, which allows us to uh, put on barges anything we grow, build, or uh, produce in the middle of the country um, between the Appalachians and the Rockies, we can send it at a price point and speed that no other nation on earth can match in terms of the ability to get that out to the world. And so that is our responsibility on a daily basis to protect that economy which is and the environment which is something uh, that we're extremely proud of in addition to search and rescue i know one of the favorite assignments for uh enlisted is is uh coast guard station lake tahoe um you you cover water salty brackish fresh um your district covers areas Arizona, Utah. What, what's the Coast Guard doing in, uh, in Nevada? So any waters that are considered navigable by law and, and has a history of having uh, commerce on those things, including interstate commerce. So as you said, Lake Tahoe is in California as well as Nevada, gives it federal jurisdiction, which means the Coast Guard is that agency which then provides safety and security on those particular waters. So you will see us on Lake Tahoe. We have authority and jurisdiction on the Colorado River as, as we do with the other river systems. Lake Havasu, which borders California and Arizona, uh, Lake Mead, which borders Nevada and and uh, and uh, Nevada and Arizona, right? So any place where there are multiple j- uh, lake jurisdictions or multiple states on the lake, we actually do have federal jurisdiction, and and you will see Coast Guard units. And what are you Coast doing Guard in Utah? Uh, Utah, there are also uh, federally navigable waterways, which will put us there. And believe it or not, there's a small section of the Green River in Wyoming that is also inside D11s. Uh, AOR, and we um, have jurisdiction on those waters, although we don't expend a whole bunch of resources there. We use uh, volunteers to help us. Some Coast Guard members sort of have career paths. They're AST rescue swimmers, or they're surfmen, or they're aviators, but most, including yourself, have the incredibly varied careers. I mean, you've spent 12 years at sea. You've commanded a modern national security cutter and, and also a a vessel that was left over from World War II. Uh, you've worked inland. You've worked intelligence. You've uh, uh, just give us some of that sense of of the variety of opportunities you've had. Uh, I think that's the best way to say it. It's uh, these are awesome opportunities, and uh, I guess some people would say schizophrenic in some ways. Uh, but honestly, uh, the core path that I followed was uh, going to sea and being a cutterman and uh, the awesome blessing to be 
with some fantastic crews. And then as an alter, alternate career path, I had started out initially as operations ashore, um, being a, a, a duty officer, conducting search and rescue missions. And then I also, uh, at that point, um, became a lawyer for the Coast Guard. So I'm a judge advocate general um, and have done legal tours for the, for the Coast Guard. And I think there's a saying in the Coast Guard, the only job you're ever qualified for is the one you just left. And so uh, every now and then you get to pick up some very special assignments, and that includes uh, being uh, blessed to be working with the intel community. What a fantastic job that was that most people don't understand uh, and, how it interacts. And let's get into that. Your last job before uh, coming here to District 11 was head of intelligence for the Coast Guard. Um, what kind of intelligence gathering does the Coast Guard do? And, and CGIS, the Coast Guard Investigative Service, uh, has some great stories to tell. What, what were you doing there? Absolutely. So there, it's uh, two uh, different uh, portions of it. And the Coast Guard is one of the few entities in the national intelligence community. So there is a direct report uh, also to the director of national intelligence. And I uh, was serving as the head of the intel community element, so heist, which means uh, th- these are the, the, the individuals that sit at the table on the council with the DNI, such as NSA, CIA. Um, we are much smaller than the rest, uh, definitely lack the resources, but uh, we are all part of that team uh, that, is, that serves the national intelligence community. And we have collections and counterintelligence operations that we run uh, through the Coast Guard. And then also very much in the same vein, we also do federal law enforcement intelligence. So the, the, the intelligence necessary to pr- prosecute cases and to, to get the, apprehend the bad guys and all those other things. Right. So let's, a few examples that you've been involved in, I guess, is um, the Coast Guard's asserting U.S. sovereignty in the Arctic as, as the Arctic ice has melted. It's becoming a, a center of contention. There's the Russians and the Chinese are up there, and there's new shipping routes that are opening up and resources. And at the same time, you recently uh, were off of Peru, uh, yes. where the Chinese fishing fleet is uh, maybe involved in IUU, uh, you know, illegal, underreported, and un- unregulated fishing. Um, t- tell us about that most recent operation. So that was uh, Operation Southern Shield, and uh, it's been uh, several different iterations and examples of it. In this past year, understanding the importance of working with countries like Ecuador and and Peru, which are really picking up their uh, interest in uh, fighting back and protecting their natural resources as well, uh, we worked together with uh, a number of international fisheries organizations. to uh, basically come together as a globe, and signatories included the People's Republic of China, uh, that we would start to comply with rules-based order out there. And it doesn't matter if it's in the Arctic or uh, it's off the waters of Peru, uh, we are helping them and we are enforcing those provisions in the international uh, agencies have put out there or the international organizations have put out there for things to counter uh, uh, illegal fishing, which is a huge problem, um, which also comes with other um, issues such as human smuggling and and piracy and other things like that. And so we uh, sent two ships down there, two ships that you wouldn't normally think of, a a buoy tender, 
paired with one of our brand new fast response cutters. So we sent this to um, ship surface action group, so to speak, to support the Ecuadorians in the Galapagos, which is sort of the first of its kind uh, multinational exercises. But it also included nations from Europe as well as South America. Uh, I think altogether there were nine different nations in this exercise, which was centered on um, raising the tactics and procedures and and ability to protect fisheries around the globe. And then we went further down and we worked with the Peruvians on IEU fishing. And again, it was the same Chinese uh, far, far waters fleet that was kind of pushing on as it's pushed in West Africa, it's pushing yes, on Latin America. Um, what tools do you have? Uh, obviously, you're not just out there with the tug looking for where fishing fleet is. How do you identify where these operators are? So that goes to the the question that we just talked about. We have an intelligence branch that looks closely at everything, including the environmentals. So where can we expect the salinity and water temperature to drive the fisheries, or in this particular case, the squid? Where will they be? This is an El Nino year, and it developed a little bit later. And so we caught on to that, and the intelligence then refocused where the fishing fleet would be to get after it. Um, this is a great example of using that. And then we went out there to ensure that the nations remained in compliance. So that's the Southern Shield. Talk about the Northern Shield as, as ice has been melting in the Arctic. Um, there's increased activity and, and fights over sovereignty. And another Coast Guard admiral once said, if we're going to have another Titanic-type disaster, it'll probably be in those northern waters because of lack of uh, navigation aids and mapping. So there's a little bit of good news on that front in a couple of different ways. Uh, the Deputy uh, Pacific Area Commander, Admiral Brendan McPherson, is was installed as the new Commander Task Force Arctic, and he's actually on the East Coast right now working together with a number of other commands inside the, the U.S. government and, and the Coast Guard uh, to formulate uh, the process of that. And every year we have an operation run by uh, the District 17 up in Alaska and the Pacific area, which is called Arctic Shield, which is exactly meant to do that, is to continue to gain more and more awareness of what's going on there, practice operations in the Arctic, and to do our very best to protect that area of the waters. What is uh, very interesting also is we share those waters with Russia. And while Russia does not necessarily have uh, the best name uh, right now because of its involvement in, in, the, in the invasion of Ukraine and others, we still maintain a very good working relationship at the working level with the border guard, uh, their fisheries department to ensure the safety and security of those shared waters in the Bering Sea, in the Bering Strait, and in the Arctic waters up there. And uh, we continue to, to, to do those things because it's in the best interest of our fishermen and protection of our resources in those particular areas. And, and you've commanded a cutter in the Bering Straits. Uh, may just describe the conditions that uh, you encounter when you get that far north. It's funny because um, you will see these weather pictures coming up and, uh, you know, the colors of blue and green are the colors that you want to see often about it because, you know, that's that's five to ten foot seas and you can handle those things and everything from launching the boat and, and all those others is, is doable in those. But uh, it will go from uh, quickly to yellow, red, purple, 
some other really dark color and you know it's a really bad day. The funny thing is, is anywhere else in the globe, it would have a name associated with it. Winds are north of 120 knots. Uh, Seas will be 35 feet to 65 feet. And these are a Tuesday in the Bering Sea or uh, in the the Straits. And you have to be smart about where to place your ship because your job is also to maintain the safety and security of the fleet without endangering your own ship. And you learn seamanship and other things very quickly uh, in those conditions. I've also been out with a small boat out of San Diego where you were um, looking for Mexican pongos as the borders tighten. People of risk uh, travel by sea to get here. Um, what are your sort of day-to-day responsibilities? I mean, I imagine it ranges from the that San Diego border crossing at sea to uh, to what else? That's a great question. Uh, uh, we'll start with um, Mexico and we'll go in two different directions. So the southwest border, the protection of our sovereignty remains one of our primary missions here. Uh, but also in the increased desperation of individuals trying to come to the United States, they are piling into vessels that are overloaded and they're attempting to come through the surf. And over the last couple of years, there has been significant loss of life. And that's obviously one of the things we are very passionate about is making sure that it isn't. So we have pushed out to the the U.S.-Mexican border and the, the, where the, the, the line is, so to speak, in the water, and we're actively patrolling it. Um, we are supported by PAC area by bringing in special teams, maritime um, safety and security teams, the MSSTs that you know about, uh, to help us patrol on the border. Uh, we have a tight partnership with our DHS um, brothers and sisters and CBP and AMO as well. And so we are at a 24 uh, seven operation there to do that. As you move further north, uh, because it's a big ocean and other things, we continue to protect the California coastal region. But more so specifically, we were also there to protect the the ports and the flow of commerce into the port of LALB, Los Angeles, Long Beach. If you remember back to the time when we had the longshoreman strike, how difficult it was find things you needed on the shelves of Ikea or Walmart uh, because the ships weren't um, being weren't able to deliver cargoes. Well, we want to do our very best to ensure, at least from a safety and security point, the things that we control, that we can do that. Then you have the marine sanctuaries uh, that we protect. Uh, and California is such a beautiful coast with um, some sterling examples of marine sanctuaries. And the species that are inside, migratory whales that come through, uh, protecting the, this this beautiful coastline is also part of our responsibility, and also managing fisheries. So California has one of the larger fisheries in uh, the United States, uh, distantly behind Alaska, but it does have a fairly significant salmon fishery, abalones, crab, other things like that that we are responsible, as well as tuna. And so our responsibility is to ensure the safety and, and uh, preservation of those natural resources. Then you go south. And our search and rescue responsibility and some law enforcement authorities stretch all the way down to the border with Peru. And in those particular areas, we work with each nation and their search and rescue region and ours to ensure the safety of mariners uh, in all forms, whether you're sailing on a solo sailing around the world or you're on a uh, a thousand foot merchant or cruise ship, are, we are going to be there to help out. And then of course, uh, we are absolutely knee-deep in the fight against uh, illegal drugs and weapons and money 
coming to the United States. And, 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 and that's the drug submarines or submersibles. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we uh, we have currently four ships on station in the Eastern Pacific that is going after those drug smugglers right now. So you're you're looking at at drugs, migrants, IUU illegal fishing, and of course, if there's a SAR case, if there's a a call for search and rescue, that's always sort of your basic genetics. Absolutely, and I will tell you, uh, just this morning, uh, the staff was telling me that uh, they found a merchant ship who decided it was okay to pump their bilges off the coast of California while they're transiting. And now we're going after them for a fairly hefty civil fine uh, as a punishment for polluting our waters too, which is something you don't necessarily think of, but the Coast Guard Investigative Service and and uh, our other marine safety investigators do a fantastic job of following up on. I was just up in uh, Fort Bragg. You have one of your surf stations there, yes. small boat stations. And people on, with 47-foot floaty boats that basically can tow vessels or rescue people in 50-knot uh, winds and 30-foot seas, and they train and make careers of that. So uh, how many of those people, what's, who are you in charge of? What's, what's the variety of surfmen and helicopters and fixed wing? Oh, that's a... Uh uh, man, it's such a it's such a blessing to be here. So we do have surfmen on multiple stations up in uh, Northern California, uh, um, uh, all the way down to Monterey. We work with heavy weather and and surf stations. Um, we have those same stations though. It's not just a one specialty in in most places because as I said, they still do the other safety and security missions as well too. So Golden Gate, for example, is a surf station but it's also a um, ports and waterways level one uh, enforcement or protection as a protection mission, which they have to train for as well too. So we do ports and, and, and waterways. And what are ports and waterways? Ports and waterways security, which is um, the rivers and everything else. And, and for those Californians or people in the Bay Area, there are actually ships that come in through the San Francisco Bay that go all the way up to Sacramento in the ship channel and all the way out to Stockton in the middle of the state. And we have to protect all of those waterways. So that's one. Second is the aids to navigation uh, individuals that have to put those, so to speak, the lane markers all the way down so that no matter what conditions, whether it's night, fog, uh, rain, uh, windy, that pilots and the ship drivers understand where the channel is, where the road is, so to speak, for them to be able to drive. And they have to make sure that that commerce flows year-round. You have, like, the Aspens, one of the black holes. Absolutely. And I went out with them in 20-foot seas when they were going to replace buoys that had been knocked out in an El Nino. Now, we try to always try to optimize the conditions and everything else, but it is uh, one of the world's more dangerous jobs is uh, buoy tending. and, and It's and like the working that. class of the Coast Guard. It is, and but it is beloved by uh, the, uh, the individuals that do it because uh, it's such rewarding work. Um, they maintain lighthouses up and down the coast. Um, there's also uh, teams that do search and rescue, as we were talking about. There are law enforcement teams. There are individuals that do inspection of all foreign vessels coming to the United States. Uh, they get inspected. So what's the SAR case you, you automatically go to when you're remembering your career? Oh, wow. There's a, <laughs> there's a, there's a couple of them. There's a... Um, just recently, the thing that struck me as is uh, pretty incredible, which is very similar to one I worked many years ago, was about 1,300 miles off the coast of California. Uh, um, in that particular case, the one that was in my career, 
single sailor, a 70-year-old guy, was uh, sailing to Hawaii, and uh, the boom hit him in the head and uh, caused uh, head trauma. And uh, just before he passed out, he uh, flipped the EPIRB and passed out. And so despite all the radio calls and everything else, we couldn't get a hold of him. So uh, we sent a Coast Guard C-130 out to, to check on this EPIRB. Which we is found a satellite pinger. I'm sorry. Yes, it's an em- emergency positioning indicating radio beacon. So it's a device that sends a ping straight up to a satellite, which gives a GPS position of where that is. And uh, when the C-130 overflew, they could see somebody on the vessel, but they couldn't see much else. There wasn't much movement or anything else. Uh, working with the California Air National Guard, the 129th uh, pair of rescue jumpers, which are right here at, at Moffett, uh, some fantastic teamwork. Uh, a team of four dropped out of the back of the Coast Guard C-130 on the next sortie, and uh, they stabilized the 70-year-old individual. So they parachuted down they to the boat. They parachuted down. Actually, they parachuted into the water, mm-hmm. inflated their own boat, brought everything that they needed to do advanced medical care and survive in the water for seven days. Just absolutely amazing. And um, stabilized him. And then uh, we had a, uh, we diverted a, a volunteer vessel called, uh, as part of the Amber program. And, and uh, they towed the sailboat for this guy. And then as soon as he got into range, we hoisted him, uh, leapfrogged off another vessel. So we took a, one of our longer-range helicopters, flew out 200 miles, refueled on a Navy ship, went out, picked up the, the crew, all, all uh, five of them, came back to the Navy ship, refueled, and then brought him back to, the, to uh, a hospital here uh, in the United States and, and uh, saved his life. I'm not sure there's another country on the planet that would go through that to save one of their citizens, but it's just, you still get goosebumps thinking about the rush of putting this, you know, the plan all together and watching amazing individuals execute the, execute the mission. It's, it's, it's awesome. What's the challenge in terms of more, in terms of having, having the Coast Guard um, able to have the personnel and the resources to really respond to a more turbulent, hotter ocean, more storms, more torrential rains, more disasters you have to respond to. Where are the resources? So uh, the biggest deficit currently, quite honestly, is our people. We're down about 3,000 people. And uh, as every other service is facing the challenge of trying to find people to come into the service, uh, recruiting is it. And so as I was speaking about earlier, we're investing far more. We're trying to change the, how we deliver the messages, what the message looks like, so people can actually understand that if you want to make a difference in the world, if you want to have something that you can be proud of, uh, we we are looking for that talent everywhere. And you will be able to do things like uh, be a rescue swimmer if you want to, or go to Antarctica, or be on that a support tender that goes around the Pacific or be a surfman or, you know, I get excited enough because I know, as you pointed out in your book, I know about the Coast Guard. If I can do this career over again, I would, and I probably wouldn't follow what I did before as schizophrenic as it was. I'd try something new because it's all fascinating. Admiral Sugimoto, uh, thank you so much for your time, for your service, and for joining us today on Rising Tide, the Ocean Podcast. Thanks so much, and thanks so much for your continued advocacy for uh, one of our greatest treasures, which is our, the oceans. And it was great talking to you today. Thank you.
Rising Tide is a production of Blue Frontier, co-hosted by David Helberg and myself, Vicki Nichols-Goldstein, with support from Natasha Benjamin and Ellie Curla. Rising Tide's editing services and technical support is provided by Studio Kate May. The theme song is written and performed by Ethan Kenbard. You can find Rising Tide, the ocean podcast at bluefront.org or download it from Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Off in the salty ocean, off where the waves are free, the sparkling water rises, then crashes to the sea. Out amongst the breakers, you'll have no need to fear. It's true, it's the blue frontier. Tear, tear, tear. Off in the salty ocean, off to the blue frontier. Sparky, come here, buddy. Sparky, there you are. Good boy, Sparky.